We welcome those who are watching us via a live stream. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to rethink the layout of our, our sanctuary here because, I don't know, Miss Anita gave me a heads up last week. She was not, unable to be here and she was watching it. And uh, she's giving me some good pointers. You guys all in the back, you know, way back there, they can't see you on TV. So, so we're going to have to put you on the front two rows. So we'll think there's more than two people here. Uh, and then you people on the outsides. Yeah, I know you're hiding. I know you're hiding. Uh, but anyway, uh, it is good to be live streaming. This is a new area of ministry. It's already proven itself uh, in the sense of uh, some folks who are unable to be here uh, are able to tune in. And sometimes as you're traveling, you're out of town, uh, we hope that you'll reconnect with us. Uh, if you're sick, uh, that that would be an option. But what we don't want is you staying at home and saying, well, I can just watch it on TV. We know where you live. We will find you. So, uh, but we are grateful for technology. We want to use it for Lord's glory. If you're visiting with us today, we welcome you to Community Baptist Church. Hope you will consider us as a home church. Uh, there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, God is at work, and we are excited about what He's doing. Uh, continue to pray in the days ahead. There's a lot coming up. We're at that time of year. You guys know. Uh, for your lives as well, but also in the life of the church. Uh, we've got some things just around the corner, Lord willing. Uh, I'm excited about our missionaries being with us in a couple of weeks from Jamaica, and uh, we uh, look forward to hearing what they have to say. Uh, also, our apologetics conference, prayer, prayer, and much prayer as we gear up for that. So please keep that at the forefront. I hope you'll be involved in a care group tonight, uh, care groups meeting, uh, some good discussion time and especially as we look at today's text. We've got a lot of text to cover today. Um, I had thought about maybe you know, taking this one bite at a time, uh, but we, if we did that, <laughs> we may be here for a long time. There's a lot here. So I encourage you, unpack this at home. All right? I know you're good students, and you will hopefully do that, Spend some time this week really meditating on this passage. There's a lot of good things here. With that said, I'm going to try and read through all of it. Uh, we did hit the first four, or actually first three verses last time in chapter 9. Uh, the first three verses, so we won't begin there. We will begin in verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 9. If you need a Bible, should be one on the pew in front of you. I promise you'll get a lot more out of it if you actually follow along. Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 4. Then Jeshua, Benai, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bani, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites... Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodajah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah, said that fast five times, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above blessing, all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it to his descendants. You've performed your words, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. 
for you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land and their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes and laws. By the hand of Moses, your servant, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. And they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks. And in the rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of the fire by night to show them light in the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sion the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Ah, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, They were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, You heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly, did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live 
by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. Our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and on all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you have dealt faithfully, but we've done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in in their kingdom or in the many good things that you have gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, servants in it, and it yields much increase to the kings you've set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Father, I pray that your name would be made much of this morning. I pray that you be lifted high in this place. I pray that the Word of God would have no hindrance to our heart. I pray, Lord, that you would open our understanding, remove the ears that are dull to hear. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to draw near to you. And so, Lord, I ask that you will have your will and way this morning. As this service is set apart for your namesake. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. Y'all remember that song, don't you? What a mighty God we serve. I know, Randall, you want to do the motions with me, but that's all right. We'll hold off. We'll put them through that, will we? What a mighty God we serve. Think about that. I mean, do you really think that? Well, take just a second. In this text we just read, you know what's been happening in context. The people of Israel, they have been suffering at the hands of the enemy. They've been in captivity under the Assyrian government, scattered, brought, drug out of their land from the northern kingdom. You've had the Babylonians who've come through militarily and destroyed their homeland and, and led them off into captivity. And they've been under Babylonian rule. Now they're coming back into the land because of God's mercy and goodness, but they're still under the oppression, if you will, of a foreign Gentile government, the Medes and the Persians. And they've rebuilt the temple. There's been a revival that's beginning to happen in the hearts of, of, of God's people. They have now built the wall under Nehemiah's leadership. 
Remember the king of Persia give him the uh, right to come back into the land and he's rebuilt the wall. They've just completed the wall. They had, they had enemies attacking from without. They had conflict and enemies from within. But they got the job finished in an amazing amount of time. God's hand is, is still upon them. And they know this. And so they had gathered at the first of this month. It was a month-long celebration. They were returning to what would uh, be a celebration that uh, there were three major holy days, if you will, that took place, as is, was the case in the history of, of the people of Israel. But they were just returning to it. And one of the first things they wanted to do was hear the law, hear the Word of God read openly. They wanted it. They were longing for it. There was a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God because it had not been a part of their life in such a long time. And we talked about the great revival that began to happen as they stood all day. Stood. Outside. No AC, guys. No cushiony pews. All day to hear the Word of God. And they were attentive. Now, even there, and I know we we stayed there for a while, but guys, even that, I just, I I, I think, man, wow. My appetite, my thirst for who God is, is so lacking. There's a seeming, and I'm going to call it that, revival happening in Burlington, North Carolina. Forgive me if I question it. I just wonder if on day one of that gathering, if they would have simply stood and read from Genesis through the first five books, if they'd have had the same result as the woo, shouting and running around and, you know, getting everybody all worked up and amped up. Hey, man, we could, you know, we could get Lori or Luke up here on the tambourine for a long time, you know, and, and, and we could probably get you all drummed up going and get everybody get a little excited. Woo, you know, and, and look, there's a lot of churches, that's what it's about, and you leave feeling good. Woo, man, I feel good today. Really? Has God been truly magnified? Has God been exalted? Have we seen God for who He really is? Because when we see God for who He really is, there's no other result in my life but to be flat on my face and say, woe is me, I am a man who's undone. Ask Isaiah. We talked about the junk food And remember, I give you the illustration that my kids don't want to eat their supper if they fill up on junk food. And spiritually speaking, we are filling up on junk food today, and that's why we don't have an appetite for the things of God. You know how you're going to get that appetite? Starting with your first bite. We need God's mercy. We need God's grace. We need to be a people who return to the Word of God again. By the way, in case you haven't figured it out, no, we've got no PowerPoint this morning. Uh, we're doing old school. Okay? You've got to take your own notes too. All right. So here are these people. It's now the 24th day of that month. And these Israelites have gone through this cycle of revival. Remember, they were remorseful and repentant. And then uh, they were encouraged by Ezra to, to, to be joyful. And the Lord put that away. There was a time for it. But now it's time to be joyful. It, there's, there's strength in the joy of the Lord. But now they've gone and they've come back. And this next time we find here in this text that they've come back, they, they sort of pick up from where they left off. 
Word of God is still having its effect. And we were told that they stood up in their place and they read the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth they confessed and worshipped to the Lord their God. Three hours. Three hours in this gathering. And it's interesting because as this unfolds, there's sort of this thing going on. There's these stairs built. Remember they built a platform. This is kind of where the concept of the platform comes from. And so you've got these seven priests, you know, on one side of the platform. You've got the others uh, that were over here on this side of the platform on the stairs. Okay? So you've got a little bit of order going on up here. And it's interesting because my understanding is that one side was calling out these things that we read here. And by the way, we get down into the, into the prayer when they lift their voices and cry out to the Lord. This is one of the longest, is the longest recorded prayer in the Old Testament. And they begin to cry out. And one side is crying out confessions. They're confessing their sin. And the other side is praising. Now think about this worship service. And you recall in our first uh, in last week's lesson, we talked about, in verses 1 through 3, it talked about repentance, separation, confession, and worship. And that's what we talked about in our small groups. And so this is what's going on in this, this gathering here at this time. The people are back in the land. They're, they've finished the job. And now they're looking at God for who He is through how God reveals Himself through the Word. And the convicting power of God, the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is having effect upon the people of God. When we come and gather in our worship service, is that what's happening? Are we attentive? Are we distracted? Does God really capture our hearts? Do we see Him for who He is? You will find, I, I mean, just this, this text that we, and I know we read through a lot, and, and we're going to dig it out in our small groups tonight, Lord willing. But the name of God, is made much of in this text. You want revival in your own life, I've got a hint on how we get there. We get our eyes off of self, and we put our eyes on God. I'm going to borrow an outline from the great Warren Wiersbe to help us this morning. By the way, I'm letting you know I did lift this from Warren Wiersbe in case the liberal media wants to cover that. I am telling you up front, I have lifted this outline from Warren Wiersbe. Some of you got that political joke. Others are like, huh? The first point is the greatness of God. The greatness of God. Verses 1 through 6. Now again, we touched on 1 through 3 last week, so let's kind of look at verses 4, specifically 5 and 6. I won't bore you with the names. Bill and Frank weren't in there. I double-checked. But I, know, I want you to look in verse 5. Here they are. They're gathered back in this worship service. And the Levites and Ezra, no doubt leading this, says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God. You see that word Lord? You might want to circle that. You might want to underline that. Anytime you see it in all caps, it's Jehovah. Some of you know that by those people that have rang your doorbell and said, Yes, we're with Jehovah's Witnesses. Don't squirt them with your water hose. Don't put your dog on them. I know your flesh wants to. Probably not the best thing to do. But... One thing that's correct here is, in all caps, Jehovah. And it actually means the existing one. The self-existing one. Now notice what happens in this prayer. By the way, this is a model prayer. You kind of want to work on your prayer life. Tired of just praying for Aunt Bessie's sore foot, the neighbor's cat. You know, you kind of want a little more substance to your prayer life. Here's a good place to look. This is a great model prayer that, that teaches us how we ought to pray. 
Kind of like the Lord's Prayer. Notice how it starts magnifying the name of God. Making much of who God is. And it's also a historical account. The people of Israel, when they were here and they were gathered, this is a historical account. And so they're in their prayer and confession time, in their praise and worship service, they are recalling the history of their people. And so they start where you should start. The self-existing one. Bless the Lord. Your God. Forever and ever. You know, I ask people when they come and, and sit in counseling with us, oftentimes what we'll do is we'll take them, obviously, to the cross and make sure that they know Christ as their Lord and Savior. But it's interesting because most people think that when you are born again, that somehow that's when eternal life starts. It's just like this idea of eternal life just moves forward from this point. But think about it for a a second. Biblically speaking, who's eternal? God's eternal, right? God's the only eternal being. You and I had a start. God never had a start. He's always been. He's the self-existing one. He's always been. He's the one who spoke and things leaped into existence. That's why, Christian, His Word is so important. He's had it written down for you and me. Why would we not want to relish in it, soak it in, thirst on it, feed on it? So, here we have the self-existing one. And their prayer begins... And it's upon Him. You notice that they focus on His creation. You alone are the Lord. Verse 6. There is no other. There is no other beside Him. He's the Creator God. Now, if this is true, and it is, who are we? Who are we to somehow make it about us? I mean, do you see how just sinful (laughs) man is truly depraved? Because of the fall, because of the curse, we're fallen. We don't see God how we should see God. We're self-consumed. These people start by focusing properly upon who God is. They recognize Him as the Creator God. Isaiah 44, 6 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Isaiah 44, 6. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is everlasting. And so what we would tell people in our counseling is this. When you are born again, You receive, according to Scripture, eternal life. Eternal life. Whose life did you receive? To as many as receive Him, to them He gives the right to become children of God. Whose life did we receive? Jesus Christ's life. Christ has always been. So not only did I get a new future, eternal life, I also have a past that's found in the person of Christ. Do you understand? Why is that important? Because my past, currently speaking, if I'm not born again, is found in the person of Adam. And that past is full of sin. My life, prior to 
to Christ is full of sin. That's why I need a Savior. That's why you need a Savior. That's why Christ came, took on the form of a man, and offers you and me, through His death, His burial, His resurrection, eternal life. Eternal life. Not just life moving forward. Eternal life. That's important. Because the Father knew Him long before He set foot on the earth. And so if I'm found in Christ, He knows me. Does He know you? Does He know you because you are in Christ, because you have a relationship, because of what Christ has offered you, because of the grace that He's given you? And if you're here and you have never received the grace that God offers you, then today you need to respond to the message of hope. Because apart from Christ, there is no hope. We will all one day stand before the Creator God, the self-existing One. You will one day, I will one day stand before Him, and we either stand before Him forgiven, or we stand before Him guilty. Because all have sinned. All have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. The Israelites know this. They're there. They've come back to the Lord. They've returned to the Word. They begin to see who God is, and they've, as a result, begin to see themselves for who they are. There's something about that, right? When you go to the mirror, you actually kind of get a look at who, what you look like. And the Word of God is like a mirror to our hearts, and so it tells us what we look like. And so they're looking at the Word, and they start here as they begin to pray, and they begin to start properly in prayer with God, with the Creator. And so they're, they're exalting His name. They're looking at, you alone are the Lord. There is no other. And we see that. Revelation 1.8 says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Notice what verse 6, Nehemiah 9 says, You alone are the Lord. You've made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host. Believed to be reference here to the angelic beings. The earth and everything on it, the seas, all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. He's worthy to be praised. Do you see God for who He is? What a mighty God we serve. There's a focus on the greatness of God. I think by way of application, you and I, as we begin our prayers, we really should focus on the greatness of God. Spend some time focusing on the greatness of God. Now, I've never been. Anybody who's, who here has been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand if you've been to the Grand Canyon. Awesome. A couple of see that hand. A few of y'all have. Awesome. I have heard there's it's just something amazing about looking out and seeing the vastness, the bigness of it. There's this A-W-E. I have to spell it all the time because you all know when I say awe, you think I'm talking about the laundry detergent. But there's this awe when you're standing there. And you know, God gives us those things in a general revelation so that we will be amazed at Him. Because if that's an amazing scene and it's breathtaking, and I'm sure it is, just like standing at the ocean or or being out in the middle of the ocean and looking at its vastness. John Piper had a great study where he talked about some of the things. There's something about a a, a packed stadium. I'm sure the Harold boys at, at the Dallas Cowboy Stadium would be like, Whoa, this is awesome! But there is something about huge events big happenings, be it natural, be it man-made, that just takes our breath away. We look at it and we stand in admiration and there's this, this awe of wonder. This is awesome. Piper talked about that's built into us because there's a longing to know the true awesome one. To know who God really is. And so when we get these small little glimpses, and that's all they are, they're small little glimpses. But when we think about the self-existing one, I mean, if this is cool, how much cooler is the one who made it? 
greatness of God. We also see the goodness of God. Nehemiah 9, 7 through 30. You know, it's clear that God is the focal point in this section. The word you in reference to God. You, referencing God. You is used over 50 times. Some of you are already counting right now. I, I, I know. <laughs> Lucy, is that right? Could you? Anyway. There's a reference to God over 50 times. In Nehemiah 9, 7 through 15, he's the subject of every sentence. And the word give is used in one form or another at least 16 different times. Do you think God is important when it comes to revival? Do you think it's important for us, Christian, to get the idea of what's going on here in the, in the cultural context? Think about these people. Think about what they've been through in their life. Think about what they've been suffering. Think about where they are on this day. And for hours, they are enthralled with who God is. You and I will never experience something like this in our own life until we fall madly in love with who God is. And it's not something we're going to muster up. But they recognize the goodness of God. They recognize the greatness of God. And that's why they're there. And I hope that's why we're here. And if not, then that's where we need to be. We need to get to that place by the grace of God. You know, the goodness of God brings repentance. When's the last time you really stopped and thought about how good God has been? I can imagine these people, after being in bondage, lost family members, seeing the ruin of their land, their children taken away. Remember, they've even some of them have been selling their own children into slavery just to be able to rebuild this wall and to rebuild the temple. And they've been working day and night and they're wore out, but now it's finished, and they're gathered. Imagine there's an overwhelming gratitude of praise. To God be the glory. George Santayana, I know I butchered that name, the Spanish philosopher, You you may not recognize the name, but you'll know what he said. He who forgets the past is condemned to repeat it. He who forgets the past is condemned to repeat it. Why do you think it's so important that the Israelites are in this prayer, in this time of confession, recalling the history of their people? Because they know what got them in the mess in the first place. Larry's Sunday school class. Again, encourage you guys to come. Check it out next week. Because it's amazing when we look at what this country was founded upon and how quickly we have forgotten the past. And, And not even just over the short amount of time this country's been in existence. I mean, even from, from the time, you know, Mr. MB or, or Mr. Holton, somebody was a kid. We don't, even, we don't even think back to those days. We've forgotten what, what happened to get us to where we are. We've, we've forgotten the past. And we end up making the same mistakes when we don't have to. And so the Israelites, they know this, and this is part of that repentance. This is part of that confession. They're remembering the past. You know, Romans 15.4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Christian, New Testament church, wake up if you're asleep, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Check out 15.4, by the way. That, but, uh, that, that quote I share, because we need to be reminded of these things. 
Hebrews mentions the same thing. Now, why do you think the great hall of faith is mentioned there in Scripture? That's a, that's a great cloud of witness. In other words, no, they're not watching from heaven cheering you on. Go, go. That'd be kind of, man, that'd be kind of sad. That's what we do in heaven. We watch a bunch of fallen men. <laughs> what do you want to do today? Ah, oh, let's go watch those guys mess up again. Hey, great idea. Woo-hoo. No, they're an example to us. Are we learning from their example? Notice here in our text, we see in verse 7, it says, You are the Lord God who chose Abram. He's a covenant God. Abram means exalted father. His name was changed to Abraham in Genesis 17.5, became the father of a multitude. You know, we, we look at this section here in this scripture where it's talking of Abram and Abraham and, and that covenant relationship that, that the Lord entered into him. And, and there's a lesson here to take away. What's the lesson in this section? God keeps His promises. He keeps His promise. Oh yeah, there's a lot more there. Guys, I understand this. There's a lot to unpack there. God is faithful. Notice, not only was God faithful, He chose a faithful follower. This was one who He called to Himself, and He chose Abraham. And gave him the name. He chose Abram, gave him the name Abraham. You know, when God calls you, and you, you respond in obedience and saving faith, He gives you a new name. It says, for you have performed your words, for you are righteous. God is a righteous God. He's a righteous God. You know, when you think about Abram and you think about his faithfulness, I just wonder if one of the characteristics of God and we're followers of Christ is faithfulness. How about you? Are you considered faithful? Do people know you as being faithful? Are you a faithful follower? Faithfulness should truly be a marking. Verses 9 through 12, he's a God of deliverance. We see the account historically how he delivered his people out of Egypt. He's a God of law. We see that in verses 13 through 15. In fact, look at verse 15 for a second, if you would. You, he says, You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. And you recall that, that time in the desert how God was faithful in providing. You know, Paul tells us that the rock that provided the water was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.4 says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You know, it's interesting. Here they are gathered. They've celebrated, the, in Nehemiah 9, they've, they've celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. And by the time Christ comes on the scene, again, this, this historical account, they developed this practice where they would, this ritual where the water was brought into the temple court and was poured out every day as a reminder of this rock. Now think about that. They had done this. Why? Because they needed to remember the past. They need to remember what God has done for them to get them to where they are. Christian, we need to remember what God has done for us to get us to where we are. And so they would do this where there was this act of, of pouring out this water in remembrance of, of that provision of who Christ is. And think about what happened in John 7, 37 through 39. You can write it down. I'm going to read it quickly as we move on. It says this, On the last day, Jesus is on the scene in His earthly ministry, John 7, 37 through 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now think for a second. The people of Israel, they remember the rock. 
and how it provided water in the desert and quenched their thirst. Jesus standing in the midst of these religious people on the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the last day and the Pharisees and the others who are all there in the ritualistic practice of pouring this water out. And Jesus stands and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John 7, 37-39. You know, I also think back a chapter in John 6, in verses 31-37. through 37. Remember this, our fathers ate the man in the desert. Remember, Jesus fed the 5,000. They followed him to the other side. They wanted some more bologna sandwiches. But Jesus don't give out bologna sandwiches. <laughs> anyway, some of y'all didn't get that. He gave them bread. Our fathers ate the man in the desert as written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Guys, there's much here. These aren't just ritualistic practices. Your coming to Community Baptist Church is not to be some ritualistic practice. We are here to worship a living God. Verse 17. Go to 16. But they and our fathers acted proudly hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. And they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader. Think about that. They appointed a leader. Remember the Old Testament? We want a king! Saul. God was to be their king, but they didn't want God's plan. They wanted their plan. Saints, we need to be careful. We don't repeat the same mistakes. If God's our king, let's follow Him in all areas. Verse 18 By the way, don't miss this, though. Back it up in 17. They got their leader and they returned them, it returned them to bondage. Sometimes be careful what you ask for. It might return you to the bondage that you so desperately want to escape from. But notice, but you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. That's the God we serve. And yet with this repeat pattern of sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, and I know sometimes you feel like that's your pattern in life, isn't it? But that's why these things are recorded. God is a God who's gracious. He is a God who's merciful. He is a kind God. And we respond to His drawing. He will in no ways cast us out. The very fact that these people followed uh, the obedience. When, when Nehemiah started, he talked about God. He reminded God of His promises from His Word. You said if they didn't obey, you'd scatter them. But if they did obey, they could come back. And that's what's happening. Obedience. Because of the mercy and goodness of God. But notice verse 26. We see this roller coaster ride continue. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. 
and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. Isn't that just like it? You know, a little lesson takeaway. Don't, don't shoot the prophet. All right? don't, don't, don't kill the messenger. All right? um, sometimes we, we kind of tend to get mad at the person who has the courage to tell us the truth. That person who says, you know what, you've got a problem. That person who says, this is wrong. It would be better if we paid attention and repented. Right? And I see this happening. I've I seen it happen this week on the news. You know, used to, Christian, our call in life was to stand for what was right, no matter who stood with us. And sometimes when you have the courage to stand and voice the truth, yeah, you're liable to get shot. Metaphorically, and nowadays I'm afraid literally. But we better pay attention. Even the people of Israel, nevertheless, were disobedient. They didn't want to hear it. They probably booed him. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, I'm going to... Try to finish out this last point and we'll get out of here. Before y'all boo me. First <laughs> Corinthians. You know, it was interesting last week in our in our care group study, one of the questions that was asked was, you know, basically the David Platt quote of of God's word and God's presence, would that be enough? And maybe I'm wrong, but I sense that today, uh, maybe uh, for some hearts, it doesn't seem to be the case. Not only God knows your heart, but I do know this. God's Word and His presence is enough. So if there's something lacking, it's not there. It's here, right? Well, 1 Corinthians, I asked you to go there, didn't I? 1 Corinthians 10, and let's look in verse 1. I want to read this in, it, in its context by, by sort of a takeaway, because I think it's a sort of a reminder, God bless you, comparison to, to what's happening in the Old Testament. And, and so I look at this as a, by reminder, as an example, because this is, again, written for our example. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized uh, into Moses in the, uh, the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness." Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I mean, doesn't that describe American Christianity today? Oh, if Pastor Jeremy's up here riding a unicycle and spitting fire, we're excited. We're all up for the playtime. And hey, look at me. You know I don't miss many meals. They, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. 
nor complained. Some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Guys, this is normal. This is common stuff. Just like they face, you and I face. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. If you're a Christian, if I'm a Christian, guys, when we read through Nehemiah 9, this is for our example. This is written for us so that we won't repeat the same mistakes of the past. But aren't we doing this? I mean, aren't we truly doing this? Belinda mentioned in in Sunday school, and I appreciated her sharing this. We've got to start here. It starts with self. And, And so... Community Baptist Church, as individual believers, we have got to start looking to self in the area of confession, in seeing God for who He is, in loving His Word, returning to the love of the Word, and let Him have His way in us. We must confess our sins. We must acknowledge to God that we have done wrong. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they will turn from their sins, seek his face, he will hear and he will heal their land. That was the Israelites. But that's an example to God's people today. We focus so much on appointing leaders for ourselves and we don't learn from the past. Let God rule in our hearts. Let God be the king on the throne of our life. And stop worrying about the other stuff and let's get back to the job at hand that He's called us to. And it starts with us being on our face before a holy God. My third point, the grace of God. 31 through 37. The great, notice verse 32 says, the great, the mighty God... The great, the mighty, and awesome God. That's who you serve. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy. Do not let all the trouble seem small before you. I mean, that's the cry of the heart of these people. They know who they serve. They've got right perspective. They've got a biblical perspective. Their eyes are no longer on self or circumstances. They have returned to the Lord. They're experiencing that revival. Notice verse 3. We see the God of justice. We see, again, the faithful God. We see the forgiving God. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. Yeah, we get what we, we, we deserve. You know what we deserve, church? You know what we deserve? We got what we really deserve. We deserve hell. That's what we deserve. Don't think you deserve anything other than hell. Don't think you deserve anything other than judgment. That's what we deserve if we got what was just. Now, I'm thankful that we don't get what we deserve. Instead, God offers us grace and mercy and forgiveness at the cross of Calvary. What a mighty God we serve. 34 through 37, the confession continues of God's people and they continue to pour out their hearts in confession. My closing point is found in verse 38. Go on, if you would, to the the last uh, verse there. Nehemiah 9, 
verse 38. And the priests, the descendants of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites, I'm sorry, I've got ahead of you another chapter. Ooh, somebody answer that. Maybe God calling. 938, and because of all this, 938, and because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Nehemiah 938 says the people made an agreement and they put it into writing. Three things I want you to remember from this verse by way of application as I close this. Listen to this. Acknowledgement. Agreement and accountability. Acknowledgement, agreement, and accountability. Pastor Brian Bill said it this way, personal, practical, or public. But listen to, to what the point of these three uh, things as mentioned here in this verse. Acknowledgement. Notice the people acknowledged their sin. And I wonder, where are you this morning? You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to personally see God as great, as good, as gracious. Maybe that's what we need to acknowledge this morning. Maybe we need to return in acknowledging Him for who He is. Acknowledge your faith by making it real. That's what these people were doing. Why do you think they're signing this agreement? It was real to them. This was real stuff. This was their life. This was everything. We need some authenticity in Christianity today. We need an acknowledgement. We also see the agreement. Secondly, they, you know, based on who He is, look at who God is. Are you in agreement that He's a mighty God? Are you in agreement that He's good? Are you in, a, in agreement that He's gracious? That He's great? What step of agreement does God want from you this morning? And lastly, accountability. When they signed this, they said our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. There was accountability there. Not only were they acknowledging this publicly, um, which I think that's the other thing uh, that's mentioned here, the fact that they were making this public. So I ask you this, how can you make your decision public? If you agree, if there's acknowledgement in your life, if there's accountability, how do you make this public? Well, maybe tonight in your small group. Maybe you want to talk about what God's doing. Maybe it's time that you return and, and ask for, for that through confession and through prayer, through praise, through worship. If you're a born-again believer and you've never been baptized, that's a good way to acknowledge i got people here that's never been baptized. Oh, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, and you've never been baptized? How is your faith real? I know I just made some people mad. But I'm sorry, Christ called you to obedience. He called you to follow Him. Don't play games. Why would we do that? I know why I did it. I know why while I played games with God. Get you nowhere. Acknowledgement, agreement, accountability. If you've never been baptized, maybe now's the time to do so. Let me know if you'd like to follow in, in, in obedience in that area. You know, maybe during the closing song today, you just want to slip forward. Maybe you need to pray. Time of confession before the Lord. Maybe it's something you, you, know, you just need to get along with God and do. Or perhaps today's the day of salvation. Perhaps today is the day that you say, you know what, I'm tired of living in a life of sin. I'm not, 
I'm not hiding from God. I'm not hiding my sin anymore. Guys, God sees it. There's no sin that's hidden from the eyes of God. I invite you to respond to what the Spirit of God would have you to do. Just as the people of Nehemiah's day, they responded to the goodness of God. And God met them with grace and mercy and healing. And I promise you, if God is dealing with your heart today, and you'll respond, He'll meet you with the same thing. Do what God will have you to do this day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, I know there's, there's so much here in this text. Um, I pray folks will take time to meditate 